0: that joy you feel closer right so take out your Bible if you didn't bring a Bible take the one out in front of you in the pew that is our gift to you take it home um, I mean that sincerely we've established the Dwayne Arnold Bible fund so that we have funds available to provide everyone who does not have a Bible with a Bible and we would love for you to do that in in memory of Dwayne who received his Bible here and for so many others who take God's Word wherever they go our reading today is in the the book of Jonah, chapter 3, we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to go all the way through chapter 4, verse 4, Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh, and proclaim to it the message I give you, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. The fast was proclaimed and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose to his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call upon God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning we're going to go on a little bit of a, I want to call it a tangent. It's a natural tangent into an attribute of God that's evident throughout this short story. And and I want to begin by asking you a question, as we often do. Is there, I'm not going to make you answer this, but is there a mistake that you can't help but keep making? A lesson that you just keep learning over and over again. Maybe an attitude that no matter how hard you try, you just can't shake. Or in an unfortunate situation, you find yourself falling into over And over and over again, Uh, can you just give me a show of hands, those who can relate to that in some place in their life? If it's eating too many cookies or drinking too much coffee or something worse than that, I think we all can relate to that. And it helps us as we get into this story and find ourselves relating to so many different aspects of it, including that part that we see here at this point. We're in the Old Testament book of Jonah. It's a story about a runaway prophet in a runaway city. And if you pay attention, you'll find yourself in so many of the details, and that is by design. And so I'm mindful that maybe some of you are just joining us. We're right in the middle of the series now, so I want to get you caught up. It's very simple. This story is only four chapters, 48 verses long. It's about Jonah, an Old Testament prophet who was called by God to do something, to go someplace that he didn't want to go. Uh, have we ever had a place that we had to go that we didn't want to go? An uncomfortable conversation that we, we had to have that we didn't want to have, but we know we're being called into it? We can relate to Jonah. So what Jonah was called to do is, is to go to a place called Nineveh. Say that with me. Nineveh It's just a fun word, Nineveh. And he was called to tell them to stop their sinful ways and to turn to God. The problem is he did not like... The Ninevites. And, and I've shared before in one of my, my favorite examples. This was not like a Bears fan going to Green Bay. This, this was like. This was much deeper than that. He couldn't stand these people. To him these were filthy corrupt people. And in many ways that was true. So much so that Jonah would rather die. Than go and share a message of hope with those People, And then I think, well, I can relate to that too. Because don't you have those people in your life? That if you were called to be a message of hope to those people, you would say, no, 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 that's not what I want to do. And that's what Jonah said. To the God of the universe who said, go to Nineveh, he said no. And he bought a ticket 3,000 miles on the other side to this city called Tarshish. And he gets on this boat and he goes to the bottom of the ship And he falls asleep. Have you ever taken a nap because the world is just too heavy and you just want to get away? And so he gets into the bottom of this boat and he's sleeping. And again we find ourselves in the story because sometimes when we don't want to go where we're called to go, where we need to go, sometimes we just say no. And so he says no. And this big storm erupts around him. And the people on the ship begin to freak out. And they wonder why this this storm has come upon them. And it's because of Jonah. And he says this much. He says, it's my fault. I'm running away from the God of the universe. And so he tells them, Throw me overboard and the whole storm will stop. And you see this situation where he's got to go. He's got to have this conversation. There's a place he needs to be. He doesn't want to do it. He's saying no to God. He's making a poor decision over and over again. And that poor decision is having real consequences on the people around him. It's having an effect even on people that he doesn't know. Have you done that too? (laughs) Have you ever made a decision? Have you ever made a mistake that had a negative impact on the people around you? Maybe even people you've never even met? That's the story of Jonah. And so the people that are on this ship, they prove to have more integrity than Jonah. They pray and they throw Jonah overboard. And sure enough, the storm stops just like Jonah said it would. But Jonah still doesn't get what he wants. He doesn't die. What happens? God sends a fish. It's not a whale, right? It's probably closer to a sea monster, as we talked about last week. So God sends a sea monster to swallow him whole. And for three days and for three nights, Jonah goes on the worst cruise in the history of cruises. He's in the bottom of the belly of this fish. And again, we can find ourselves in that story. Have you ever run from something? Have you ever made a mistake over and over and over again? And as the consequences build up, it's like water. He says in his prayer, it was like going to the bottom, the foundation of the earth where the roots of the mountains are found. And there he is at the bottom of the sea. I've been at the bottom of the sea, the sea of my own disobedience, mistakes, the cosmic nose that we say to God. I think we all have. And even though in our reading today, we'll see that finally he gets spit out, divine indigestion, right? The fish spits him out. His attitude doesn't change, even though he eventually goes where he was told to go. And he's pretty much right back where he started by the end of chapter 4. In a sense, there is a lesson here that Jonah just can't learn. He just keeps falling into the same trap over and over again. And it begs the question that I wonder, and that is, how much is God willing to put up with with this wayward prophet before God says enough is enough? And, And to make it personal, since this story reads our story as well, maybe you might ask the question, maybe you have, how far can we test God's patience? Have you ever wondered that before? How far can you test God's patience? In this story of Jonah, you, you just think logically there's got to be some divine clock ticking where God is going to say enough and smite Jonah, right? Like next time it isn't going to be something that swallows him alive. It's going to be something that chops him dead, right? Like doesn't God's pr- patience have limits? Because I know when it comes to my patience, I don't have an unlimited resource of it. Some days I don't have enough patience for a driver that's driving five miles under the speed limit in front of me. And I can tell by your faces that some of you can relate, right? Right? You don't have patience for a lot of things. Many of us, in theory, believe that if, if that's how patience works, God might be better at patience than we are. But he's still dealing with patience the same way we do. And I want to tell you, he doesn't. God is... Not just better at patience than we are, but it's beyond our comprehension because when it comes to patience, God doesn't act patient. He is patience. He is patience. It's actually part of the fiber of his being. And that might sound like an odd distinction, so let me explain. Sometimes I act patient when really everything going on inside of me is anything but patience. And you might see that because you might see me tapping my toe or... You might imagine there's some words that are going through my head that I really want to say, right? And I'm not saying them, but I'm not patient either. I'm acting patient, but I'm holding back. And if we think of our God as a God who just acts patient with us, especially in the mistakes that we make over and over again, and we run from him, what happens is you might start to think that God works that way. That God is just just holding back, that he's tapping his toes in heaven. That must be where thunder comes from, right? It's God getting annoyed with his people, or, or maybe his glorious face is just getting more and more red as we make mistakes. Maybe that's where lightning comes from, right, is it, God. That's how we would think, and if we would think that way, then it's not a stretch to, to ask yourself, if God only acts patient for me, then does God like me, or does God just... Put up with me. You ever wondered that? Does God like me or does God put up with me? And that would be a true question to ask if you believe that God only acts patient with us. But if God is patient, then it has nothing to do with acting. It has nothing to do with God holding back. Anything. God is patient. God doesn't have anything to hold back against anyone. And we have the greatest symbol there is hanging above this empty altar to prove it 2,000 years ago in a mysterious way. God sent his son Jesus to take upon himself a on that cross, all of the broken mistakes, all of the empty promises, all of the sins, all of the lessons that we just can't learn and we keep falling into over and over again. Every mistake and brokenness on the planet that ever has or ever will be was taken upon Jesus on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus said, It is finished. And it is, it's done. There's nothing left for God to put up with. This is what we're baptized into. This is what we trust and believe and put faith in. This is what this little boy who's gonna baptized, is going to be baptized into before he even understands what's going on. That God is and will never be angry at you. And what that means is that when we do fall away, because we all raised our hands, we all have mistakes that we still make over and over again, if God isn't holding back, if God isn't angry at us, then the only thing that's left is a God who is patience, waiting for you and me to come back to him. Not because he's putting up with us, but because he loves us. He loves us. An unconditional love that is patient. We read about it in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter of the Bible, right? Say it with me. Love is patient. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say love acts patience, And that's an important distinction. We use this chapter in almost every wedding that I have the privilege of officiating. And the, the vows that we most often use. Um, don't talk anything about acting a certain way. But let me show you what they would look like if they did. What if we use these vows, adjusted just a little? What if, what if this was the vows that you used if you're married with your spouse? I take you to be my husband or my wife, and these things I promise you, I will act faithful to you. I will act honest. With you. I will I'll continue. I will I will act respectful and trustworthy. I will act helpful and caring. I will act forgiving as we have been forgiven. How does that sound? Does that sound romantic? Do those sound like vows that you wouldn't want to say? Those are the worst vows in the world, right? Nobody would want to say those vows. Now, truth be told, if you're married, there's times in your marriage that you've got to act a way that's different than the way that you feel, right? Because you're not God. But even then, when you act, you're acting in a way that's in accordance with who you have vowed to become on your wedding day, to become loving and faithful and honest and respectful and forgiving. And in a marriage, that's going to take a lifetime. But in our relationship with God, God is already there. He doesn't have to act. God is love. Excuse me. God is love itself, and love is patient. So whenever I read this passage in a wedding, I always explain to the couple, this is actually not written about your butterfly feelings love on your wedding day, but this is actually a a chapter that's written about the love of God. It's agape love. It's sacrificial love. It's a love that's a model for you to follow, but it's also a love that you are called to rest in because it's a love you already have in Jesus. Love is patient. God is a patient God waiting for those that he loves, no matter what they've done, how far they've run, where they go, he is waiting for you to come back to him. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not dishonoring of others, it is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. How often do we think of God like Santa Claus? He's making a list, checking it twice, right? Have you ever thought of that? It's not biblical. It keeps no record of wrongs. God is love. He's not keeping any lists. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. God's patience will never fail you. And I say that because I have to believe this morning that there's at least someone here who needs to know that. Someone here who needs to hear that, that God is not angry at you. No matter where you've been or what you've done or how many times you've done it, God loves you. You are the object of his love and his affection. He knew The mistakes that you would make before you were even born He could have stopped all of it before it even started. But God wanted you, warts and all, because he loves you. And love is patient. But Pastor Tom, what about all the effects of our sin? (laughs) What about the mistakes that we make? Where does that come in? Well, here's the truth. Love also doesn't leave us in our mistakes and our sin either. And so neither does God. And it's not because God is smiting us or angry with us. Do you think that maybe Jonah, the three days that he was in the belly of the fish, thought maybe God was a little upset with him for his disobedience? Probably until he realized as it spit him out that that was an instrument of his salvation. The same is true for you and me. Our mistakes and our sins do have a real effect on other people and ourselves. They hurt us. And so God wants to draw us away from those things and back to him, into his plan, into his purpose, into his love. And that's where we have ourselves here in Jonah. After all this running, after saying no to God, after the sea monster incident, after all of these things. Verse 1, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah messed up. Jonah said no, he ran, people were hurt, God is patient, he goes to an incredible length to bring Jonah back to himself, and I can only imagine, Jonah gets, he gets spit out of this fish, right, he's got all of the, all of the, the whatever, I'm not going to describe it, I don't know, but have you ever cleaned a fish, right? Right? Like, he's got that all on him, and he's like, what just happened? And the first thing that the Lord says to Jonah is, now go do what I told you to do to begin with. (laughs) It's like a parent, right? I told you to do something. I'm not letting you off the hook. And it's because not only is God patient, but what is patience? Patience doesn't forget. Patience doesn't compromise. Patience waits. God is patient, Because the work that he wants to do in you and me is far too important to give up on. You are far too important. For God to give up on Jonah was far too important for God to give up on. And so were the people of Nineveh that God has set his heart on saving. Peter writes in 2 Peter 3.9 he says the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. It feels slow but it isn't slow. Instead he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. And so thankfully, in chapter 3, Jonah listens this time, albeit with a bit of a grudge. And it says in verse 4, Jonah began going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And this would be a really great story if we could just be done, right? If this could just be over at the end of chapter 3, this great city of Nineveh, population may have been like 120,000 people. Like, big city, right? They were spared. Praise be to God, but there's still another chapter. We're going to get into the whole thing next week. and it. Brings us right back to where we were started. Jonah gets discouraged again. He says, I want to die again. He's angry that God saved Nineveh. And so what does God do? This time he must smite him, right? No. God turns his attention back to the wayward prophet and continues to tangibly call Jonah back to him. Why? Because the overarching theme of the entire story of Jonah, if there's one theme and one theme only, is that there is nothing you can do to outrun God's grace. You cannot outrun God's grace. There may have been 120,000 people in Nineveh saved that day, and if it was a Hollywood movie, the credits would have rolled, Jonah would have got the girl, (laughs) Right? It all would have been over and it would have been a great story that ends there, the perfect ending. And yet, life is not always perfect, isn't it? And so we continue, and what you'll find is God actually does more to bring Jonah back to him than he does for the entire city of Nineveh. If you look at what, what Jonah said to, to, to the city is only five words in Hebrew. In verse 4, he says this. He says, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Um, that would be like, I imagine, if you have a sibling. Let's say, let's say brother, sister. Let's say sister has gotten into mom's makeup, okay? And, and she knows she's not supposed to, but mom went to the store, and you hear the garage door opening. And you feel this burning inside of you. God has called you to warn your sister that she's going to get in trouble. But you don't like your sister. And you kind of want to see her get in trouble. And so you have to say yes to this burning inside of you. And you walk into the the room where she's got all the makeup out. You walk in and you say the least amount possible. You walk in and you say, garage door open. (laughs) And she knows And she puts it all away. And she comes to mom, and her face is full of makeup, and she says, I'm sorry, I gotta do. makeup and mom says it's okay I forgive you that's what Jonah did that's all he did five words he says 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown he doesn't come before them with his grand testimony guess what guys I ran away from God too I'm just like you I got swallowed by a sea monster he doesn't say any of that he says the least amount possible because honestly he would rather them die he still hasn't learned and yet just those words are enough. They don't need a storm. They don't need a fish. They don't need a direct word from God's lips twice. But do you know who does need all of those signs to come back to God? Jonah does. God does more for one wayward prophet than he does for an entire city. And it reminds me of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 15. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't Doesn't he leave the 99 in the country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus is The Good Shepherd. And there is not a single person in this room or in any room that is so far from God that God is not waiting for you to come back home. Can I say that again just so that you hear what I'm saying? There is not a single person here who has run so far from God so many times, made so many mistakes, that God is not still waiting for you to come back to him. In the story of Jonah, God wants Nineveh and he wants Jonah and he wants you. And it's not just for your benefit, but it's also for the benefit of all those that God might use to call him back through you as well. And God will not stop until he gets what he wants. I was listening to a pastor, this was a long time ago, I don't remember who he he was or what church he was from, but he was an author and his church is a church of thousands of people. And he talked about how for years he had attempted to plant a church and it felt like a failure. He couldn't get more than just a handful of people to show up each and every Sunday. And the people around him began to even ask him, why don't you just give up? And he would tell them, he would say, because if I give up, I'm not just giving up on the handful of people that show up each and every week, but I'm giving up on the countless people that those people are going to go off and reach with God's love in the years to come. He was patient with a few to reach others. God was patient with Jonah because he wanted to reach Nineveh. And God is patient with you and me And it's not just for ourselves, but it's so that he might use us to reach the world. When you keep beating yourself up over and over again for something that you just keep doing, that you just keep falling into, a mistake that you just keep making, when you don't receive God's grace for yourself, it is impossible for you to go into the world and share it with the world around you. Do you know how many people are walking around this planet thinking that God is angry at them? They need you to receive God's grace and forgiveness in your life so that you might go into the world and tell them that that same grace and that same forgiveness and that same love is for them too. And so let's, let's begin right now by praying and asking the Lord to, to make this true for us that we might Share this truth with the world. Lord God, the the psalmist proclaims in Psalm 103 that you are a compassionate and gracious God. Your word tells us in so many places, including the places we read this morning, that you are slow to anger and abounding in love. We see it play out in the story of Jonah and in the story of Nineveh. We see it in in our own personal great need for your compassion and love and grace and constant forgiveness in our lives as well. And so God, I just pray that each and every one of us would have a, a deeper awareness this morning that in Jesus In your son, we are being made new. We are a new creation. The old is gone. The new is here. The spirit lives inside of us. A spirit whose fruit is patience. A spirit that comes from you, God. You, yourself. You are not angry with us. But that you are there with us. Helping us turn back to you in every way that we've been led astray. God, no matter how many times we fall short, help us to hear your voice calling us back as the good shepherd to come back to you, to live for you, and to reach the world in your great name and in your great love. It is in Jesus' name that we pray.